Good morning, everyone. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the worship leaders here. And uh, as, as you may have noticed, uh, there's, a, there's a big table in the middle of the room this morning. That, that means we're going to be celebrating communion later. Um, communion is uh, an example in the Bible. And Pastor John is going to go into this a little more later of uh, our response to who God has revealed himself to be. Uh, and throughout scripture, we see that worship, whether it's the songs we sing or um, just having an obedient heart uh, or gratitude in our hearts, uh, worship is a rhythm of revelation and response. God reveals himself and we respond. Uh, it's found throughout scripture and, and it continues to this day. Um, check out this passage from Isaiah. This is uh, considered Isaiah's commissioning in Isaiah 6. Uh, we see that God reveals himself right away. It says, In the year the king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And Isaiah's first response, his first worship-filled response, is repentance. We see that in, in uh, verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. But God continues to re reveal his character and he provides cleansing. Listen to this in verse six. The, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. God is a God of grace. And so God continued, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And so Isaiah's second worship-filled response is obedience. And he says, here am I, send me. And we see more of that throughout the Psalms. We see revelation and response throughout the Psalms. Check this out from Psalm 63. God reveals himself and he says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. And the response, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Psalm 88, verses 1 through 2. God has revealed, Lord, you are God who saves me. Day and night is the response. I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your, eye to, turn your ear to my cry. And in Psalm 99, God has revealed, the Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord in Zion. He is exalted over all the nations. And our response, let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. And so we see that throughout scripture. Worship, a revelation and response, a rhythm. It continues throughout. And if, and if, and if, if worship is this rhythm of revelation and response. That means it's, then it's communication between us and God. And if it's communication between us and God, then that means that there's a relationship. We worship God because of the one-on-one -on -one relationship we have with him through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I believe God has something he wants to reveal to all of us this morning. And our hope as worship leaders, our prayer and our desire is that we can unite this morning, that we all together live out this rhythm. It's a rhythm, just like a heartbeat, just like music. You can hear the kick drum going. God reveals, we respond. God reveals, 
we respond. We didn't come here just to go through the motions and sing, uh, just sing words. Well, we came here to sing from our hearts. God reveals, we respond. God reveals, we respond. We come to respond together to the revelation that he's given us throughout this week. God reveals, we respond. And we come here together to hear the word, the word that Pastor John will be preaching, that God has lifted up and in such a way he reveals himself before us. So we lift our voices, God reveals, we respond. God reveals, we respond. God has revealed so much to us already this morning. If we think back over our experiences of this past week, we know that God reveals himself in all kinds of situations, from great victories and joy to sorrow and grief. It's true in our lives in 2018. God continues to reveal himself, sometimes in the most unexpected ways. And when we have re- and then we have reason to respond. This morning we've asked um, Chrissy Griff to come and share her story of how God has revealed himself to her and how she has responded to his goodness. For as long as I can remember, I have wanted to be a mom. I absolutely loved children, and it was the main reason one of my degrees is in child development. My husband, Lance, and I had been married for three years when we began trying to start a family. I was filled with such excitement and joy at the thought of being pregnant and having a baby. Then, as a year passed, one of my worst fears was starting to become a reality. I could not get pregnant. We began seeing fertility specialists who could not find a reason we weren't able to conceive. We pursued several rounds of fertility treatments, all to no avail. This was a very difficult time for me because at the time we first started fertility treatments, I was working as a developmental specialist with the state of Idaho for their infant toddler program. I regularly worked with families who had been involved with Child Protective Services, and I had evaluated numerous children who had been abused or were drug affected. One child I did therapy with was number nine from a meth addict. I didn't understand why we couldn't get pregnant and meth addicts could. You see, I grew up with the very wrong spiritual assumption that if I did A and B, then C would happen. If I did everything like I was supposed to, then God would bless me. Lance and I did everything right, everything good Christians were supposed to do. We loved God. We had walked with him throughout our lives. I just couldn't wrap my mind around it. It was such a depressing and very dark spiritual time. I felt God had abandoned me. I truly thought, God hates me. I don't know why, but he does. Somehow I've made him really angry, so he won't bless me with a baby of my own. I also believed that if you had just enough faith, just a mustard seed, then anything was possible. I believed that if I had more faith, God, like a genie in a bottle, would grant me my desire to get pregnant. In June of 2007, I received a call from the nurse, and our latest fertility treatment was unsuccessful. I told Lance that I couldn't do the fertility treatment roller coaster ride anymore. 
We then started really looking into domestic infant adoption, and it changed the course of our family's journey. To make a long story short, that next month, our firstborn was born and joined our family through adoption. Fast forward again, and our family is complete, with all of our three children joining our family through infant adoption. I would not trade my children for anything, including a biological child. We love them more than words can express, and they are our children. We feel so blessed by God and their birth families to have been chosen to be their parents. Going through infertility has been one of the hardest things I've had to walk through. But would I do it over again? Absolutely, because it brought us together as a family, the family God had designed for us to be. Through Ray Vanderlaan's study, Walking with God in the Desert, as well as intense Bible studies like The Journey, I have had to strip away at my Americanized Christianity beliefs, think the American dream weds Christianity, and what I thought I knew of God to truly rediscover God's character, that God does indeed love us deeply, that he mourns with us, that he is sovereign over all, and he is good. A quote from the Bible study, Walking with God in the Desert, says, In the desert, God joins his people. He always provides just enough right at the moment we need it. It doesn't necessarily make desert easier. It doesn't make it less painful, but it does make it possible. And one can emerge on the other side closer and more intimately related to God than ever before. When I face deserts now, Rather than turning inward, I look upward, knowing that God is always with me, even during the most difficult and painful things that I go through, has brought a tremendous amount of peace to me. I know I can trust God with my story, the story he's writing for me and my family. This knowledge allows me to respond to God with a more open heart. It allows me to praise him in the storms. Truth be told, my response is sometimes a long time coming, but it does come. I praise God that he formed our family as it was supposed to be, and not according to what I thought it was supposed to be. I mentioned before being at my breaking point and being done with fertility treatments. Just a few days after getting the call from the nurse that our latest attempt had failed, Lance and I were out running errands. We went to a store we never regularly went to, to pick up some work shirts for Lance. I mentioned to him all the pregnant women we were passing. You see, when you're struggling with infertility, pregnant bumps are like flashing lights that you're keyed onto. We found the shirts and went up to the register to pay. The young lady behind the register was around eight months pregnant. As we were leaving, I leaned into Lance and said, it's like they're mocking me, meaning all the pregnant bellies. Even our cashier is pregnant. Fast forward, and through a series of things, I put two and two together and found out that the pregnant cashier at that store was actually our firstborn's birth mother. That part of our story is such a wonderful reminder to me that while we may be at our lowest, that the God of the universe, who desires to have a personal relationship with us, sees us in our pain and despair and is at work. He is with us, loving us, caring us, and that is truly something to celebrate and a God who is worthy of worshiping.
And in, uh, in keeping with that theme, we've also invited uh, Dave Bolster to, to share some of his story. As some of you may know, Dave is one of our uh, drummers on the team, and he has gone through uh, a litany of cancer diagnoses and treatments. Uh, in fact, is, is on the, the recovery side again from one uh, last year. And so, uh, again, we've just invited him to share a bit of his story. Hi, y'all. Isn't that the way we're supposed to start out? <laughs> Romans ten seventeen says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. My story says I was first diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in October of 1988. After treatments, I was cancer-free. However, less than three years later, the cancer returned, and this time it was worse than before. After many tests, I was told I had a four by seven inch lymphatic mass in my upper abdomen. As the months passed, I began to swell until I finally looked like I was nine months pregnant. Even though I looked like that, Lonnie and I traveled throughout the Seattle area ministering the good news of Jesus Christ through song and testimony preaching that God heals, that we don't walk by sight, but by faith, that we are overcomers of this world by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. As we preached, people would come up and say, you need to write that story down. Or they would say, wow, you need to write a book. <laughs> so we started writing our stories down, and before long we had a book. <laughs> it's called Given, Less Than Two Weeks to Live. I wonder if any of you age-challenged individuals have realized that the older you get, the more you don't remember. Well, I've found that to be true in my life, and because of that, I'm very thankful that I have this book, which now helps me to remember the things that I forgot. <laughs> Here's reading from the book. We had been home just a little over two weeks when a friend called and asked if he could stop by. Our friend was an evangelist whom we had worked closely with on several occasions. He made himself comfortable on the couch and then he started to talk in typical evangelistic fashion, talking a mile a minute. After about 35 minutes of nonstop talking, he paused, looked over at me and said, so tell me, David, how are you doing? Well, there was a very long pause before I finally broke the silence because ever since the cancer returned in December of 1991, I believed that I would be supernaturally healed in the twinkling of an eye healed. I didn't know when and I didn't know how, but I knew it would happen. The Bible says in Matthew 21 that if you have faith and don't doubt, that you can say to that mountain, be thou removed, be cast into the sea, and it shall be done. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. So I spoke to the mountain. I yelled at the mountain. 
over and over. I cast that mountain of cancer out of my body and into the sea. The Bible also says, without faith, it's impossible to receive anything from God. Hebrews 6, 11, 6. Well, I knew that I had faith because God's word also says that God hath given to every man a measure of faith. So even though I might only have enough faith as a mustard seed, I knew it was enough to heal me. <laughs> I didn't know the hour, the week, or the month, but I knew that I was going to be healed. After everything I had to go through, at no time did I receive my supernatural healing. Now, because things hadn't worked out the way I had planned, I had become mad at God. So when my evangelistic friend, this man of God whom I love and respected, looked at me and said, so tell me, David, how are you doing? I exploded. I opened my mouth and the garbage that had been inside for months came spewing out. Frustration and bitterness raised their ugly heads and I lashed out at this dear man. I sobbed. I told him that I had believed for a miracle, an instantaneous healing, and because I didn't get it, how mad I was at God. I continued to cry for a good 15, 20 minutes, and the whole time my friend politely sat there and listened. After a moment or two, he leaned towards me, looked me in the eye, and with compassion said, so what's your problem? David, he said, God has given you something much greater than a supernatural healing. He's given you a testimony. If you had received an instantaneous miracle in the way that you wanted it, what would you have to share with others going through difficult times? God chose to bring you through the fire, that you could tell others how hot the flames are. David, did you ever have anybody come to you and say, hey, I know what you're going through? And you knew very well that they didn't have a clue what you were going through. Now you can stand face to face, toe to toe, with anyone going through difficult times of trial and suffering, and you can say, I know what you're going through because I've been there and I can help. You still received your healing, David. It just didn't happen the way that you wanted to. Isn't that right? And that's what really makes you mad. You know, God loves you, David, and he has a perfect plan for your life. Trust him to know what's best for you. Hmm. Oh, my goodness. He was right, all right. I wanted the Burger King healing. Have it your way. And because I hadn't received it my way, I was upset, frustrated, and bitter. If it had not been for God's great grace and mercy and tremendous love for me, 
I might not be here right now. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Thank you. Revelation in response. It's this deeply biblical theme that runs its way all the way through the narrative of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's, it's this pattern, and you see it again and again and again, where God comes to his people and he reveals himself, whether through his power or his word or his character or whatever it may be. And then for some reason, it's not that people are like, that's interesting, and then they walk away. They, they pause, and then they, it's like they must respond to God's revelation. That, that something inside of them, a fire suddenly is lit and they feel the need to respond. And, and often that response looks a whole lot like worship. It does. That's true in the Bible. It, it's also true in our lives. And you've heard that this morning through Chrissy and Dave that God reveals himself to us and then we must respond. Something in us uh, pushes us to respond to God's revelation. You know, you actually see this in the story of Jesus. You know, this morning we're about to take communion. The, the story in the Gospel of Matthew about the first communion is a great example of what we're talking about, this revelation and response. And I want to read that story for you. I'm actually going to invite Kevin up here in a moment. Kevin Stellingworth, you can come on up if you want to, Kevin. Wait. No, I'm just kidding. You can come on up. It's in Matthew 26, 26 to 30. If you have your Bible, you should open there. And what I want you to do, don't stand this time. Just sit and, and listen or read along. And what I want you to look for is the pattern Revelation and response as the words are read. All right, now it's your turn. Matthew 26, 26 through 30. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Thanks. Did you catch it? The revelation and response. You know, so the story goes, the disciples and Jesus, they are going to celebrate the Passover together. And there's all these customs and traditions that go along with the Passover. So the disciples know what they're supposed to be expecting in this moment. And then Jesus kind of crashes the party, which is actually, I think, a common theme for Jesus, to crash the party pretty much wherever he goes. And then he stops, and at one point he hands out bread. And the, I imagine the disciples are hanging out, and they're eating bread, and they're munching on bread. And then Jesus says, whoa, stop a second, stop. The, the bread that you're eating right now, 
that's a great metaphor for what's about to happen to my body. My body is about to be broken for you. And then, and then later on, they're hanging out and the wine is poured and they begin drinking the wine, perhaps enjoying it, whatever it may be. And then Jesus says, wait, 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 stop a second. The, the wine that you're drinking and enjoying, well, that's a great metaphor for what's about to happen to me in, in my bloods. It's, it's the blood of the covenant be, being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to die. My blood's going to be poured out for you to forgive the sins of the world. This is the revelation piece in this passage. That Jesus is saying something about the character of God. That God is a saving God. That when he looks down at his creation and he sees that things are not well, that, that this God is going to act and do something, even if it means his own harm, even if it means a cross, something like that. That's the revelation piece. We get that. And I imagine the disciples in this one scene are like, kind of shocked and disturbed and don't really know what to do, but that's not what happens in the scene. If you look to the last verse, it'd be verse 30. So Jesus shares his revelation in verse 30. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This revelation about what was about to happen to Jesus, they, they sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. It actually brought them to worship, that moment did. And what's amazing is the first communion 2,000 plus years ago, whatever that is, it's been a revelation and response ever since the first one. That when we come to this table, each and every single time, the church has done it for thousands of years, God reveals himself to us at that table and then we respond, and perhaps we walk out with a hymn on our lips. Perhaps this morning you need a revelation. You know, in a moment, we're going to take communion. We're going to go to the table and take the elements. We're going to take them all together. What if you said a quick prayer and said, God, reveal yourself to me at the table? Maybe the fire in you, the fire of your faith, your love of God, your ability to just want to show up in a place like this and worship, it's just faded and dwindled down to nothing. And you just need a revelation from God today to get the fire burning again. What if you ask for that at this table this morning? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this pattern of revelation and response in the scriptures. God, we're, thank you, we're thankful that it, it doesn't just stay in the scriptures, but it pours out into our lives as well. We can see that pattern in our lives too if we're looking for it, if we're looking close enough, God. God, we pray that as we're about to come to the table, we're about to dine with you, that you reveal yourself to us. That perhaps the fire in our hearts is, is growing cold, God. We pray that you, you add heat to the flame at the table this morning so we can leave this place with a hymn on our lips. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen? Amen. Have a happy Labor Day.